We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. At the end of uh, the text we looked at last week, we kind of ran out of time, but if you'll look at verse 18 and 19 of Proverbs 4, it's the conclusion of that paragraph, and it talks about two people, two paths, and two destinations. He says in verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. A path, a life, and a a destination. Verse 19, there's the wicked. The way of the wicked is like darkness, and they don't know over what they stumble. There's the destination. That verse 18, it simply means that for the righteous man, it gets better and better and better that he knows God more deeply, his word is illumined more clearly, he serves God to a greater degree, Uh, his joy increases until finally he is in the full day and he looks upon the face of God. As a matter of fact, there's a verse in the New Testament that many believe is taken from this verse. We all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror Christ who reflects God, We behold as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory unto glory as from the Lord the Spirit. We go from glory to glory to glory. We keep getting changed into the likeness of Christ. Uh, Some have felt that he takes it also from a psalm, Psalm 84, that says uh, about the righteous man that he journeys to Zion and he goes from strength to strength until he appears before God in Zion. I memorized that when I ran a marathon one time, the White Rock, and it says they go from strength to strength until they finally appear before God. And I thought, I wonder if that means they get stronger till they die, because I'm getting close to that right now. But they go from strength to strength. And so that's the way it is for the righteous man. It gets better and better until we look upon him. But for the wicked, it's darkness. They don't know how to make decisions, and those they make are bad. And at the verse 19 at the end, when they finally stumble and fall flat on their face, they don't know why, because they're in the dark. And that's why they come a lot of times to counsel, and they say, help me. And you go, did you have any idea that you were doing stupid? No. Well, that's why you have fallen flat. Do you know you're not supposed to do that? No, I didn't. And so those are two paths. And now in verse 20 through 27, he is going to put the the nail punch on that. He is going to, in verse 20 and 21, he's going to give you a command. My son, he's going to say, I want you to listen. And then in verse 21, I want you to read. And then at the end of 21, I want you to keep it all of your life because he's going to give you a reason in verse 22, because the word of God is life to you. It's health to your body. Health is the absence of pain. It's where all the organs are working properly in the organism. Okay. And so there is spiritual life. And then in verse 23 through the end, he's going to give you five warnings. So a command to walk faithful, the reason because the word of God determines your life 
And then he's going to command you, you be careful. It goes like this. Be praying that you may not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Just because you know it's right and want to do right doesn't mean you will because you have got the body of our humiliation to lead you astray. And so with that, let's watch this text about staying the course all the way till the end. You know, when I was in seminary, I had a professor named Dr. Haddon Robinson, and I remember him telling a story to uh, the church that he was preaching at, and I listened to it on a tape. Y'all remember tapes? Huh? Anybody? Uh, going to Nashville, a, bunch, a couple of us guys, about three of us were listening to it. He was a professor of homiletics at Dallas Seminary. And he talked about a, a, a friend of his that he kind of grew up in the Lord with who was a pastor of a church in Florida and was head of a Bible college. And he left with his secretary and he ran offshore with the money of the seminary. So how many sins do you want right there? And so he just took the money and ran with another man's wife. And he said... Uh, Dr. Robinson said the problem was his son attended Dallas Seminary, and I knew him, and he came to me. He said, Dr. Robinson, is there ever a chance you can talk to my father? And he said, well, not till his statute of limitations is up, and he's back. And Dr. Robinson said, it's so worked out that I ran into my old buddy when we made an appointment. And he said, by this time, he was so, you know, they say if you get a porcupine quill in you, you need to get it out quick because if you don't, that porcupine quill will work with your muscle flexion and it'll take it deeper into you and pierce your liver. That has nothing to do with the message. I just want you to know that in case you ever get a porcupine quill in you, meaning you better nip it in the bud. All right. But he said he, it was so deep into him, I couldn't get it out. He said he had jettisoned all his life and the only thing he had to hold on to was somehow trying to make life pleasant for the woman he ran off with. And so he said, well, what do I tell your son? And Haddon said, he said to me, you tell him that a man who walks out of fellowship with God walks on the edge of an abyss. Meaning this didn't just hit me all of a sudden. I saw it coming and I didn't. Verse 27, turn my foot, and now I'm here. And so, you know, there's a rule in homiletics. You don't share a real killer illustration at the outset of your message because that's all everybody can think of for the rest of it. But put that in your mind. And in verse 20, he says, I want you, my son, to listen. Give attention to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. How many of you, before you were literate, had your mom and daddy tell you Bible stories? Revo ever tell you and Jane a Bible story? Yeah. You tell them Bible stories, okay? Well, you listen to my words as a little boy. The Bible says of Jesus from the age of two onward, he increased in wisdom as a child. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, uh, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings 
That word child is the same word that occurs with there'll be a baby wrapped in swaddling. So from the time your child's an infant, you tell him about you and daddy and grandma and grandpa and the uncles and the aunts and Spurgeon and Luther and whatever, and you tell them stories. And then in verse 21, they get old enough, don't let it depart from your sight. You read on your own. Would y'all all have to agree that there's a time in your life that the faith has to become yours? It just can't be stories from your granddaddy. Now it's got to be you. Paul said to Timothy, the things, what was it? Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Continue. It's got to become your faith, Timothy. And so he says, you don't let it depart from your sight. The Bible says of Jesus, at the age, after the age of 12, it says he uh, continued to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He was a godly teenager. Did you hear what I just said? He is the son of God. And then in, at the end of verse 21, and you keep them in the midst of your heart. When Christ became older, he became a reader in the synagogue. He listened, he read, and then he proclaimed the word in the synagogue. So he was a, a child as he became a man. This is my beloved son to whom I'm well pleased. At the end of his life on the death of the cross, he could cry, it's finished, and God would raise him. So this was from womb to tomb, a pleasing man. And so you listen, you read, and then you keep the word central. Did you ever do one of those little toys when you were little that was like a compass and it had a BB in it and you're always trying to maneuver that thing? That's kind of what sanctification is. We're always thinking if we just have rules, if I read X amount, pray X amount, attend church, give this amount of money, that everything's gonna be okay. Can you do all of those things and still be godless? Yeah, you, the heart is desperately wicked. And so sanctification is like taking that little compass with the BB and trying to center it. You're constantly adjusting to keep that thing central. And that is what sanctification is. You're always having to be honest with your own heart, okay? You remember whenever they told David to kill Saul and he said, I can't do that, he's the Lord's anointed but David cut off the corner of his robe. You shall not touch the Lord's anointed, but he touched the corner of his robe and cut it off. And Saul went on his way. And it says, David's heart smote him, his conscience. And he cried after, after Saul. And he said, I did this. That's when you're sensitive to God. When you walk close, Potiphar's wife says, lie with me. And Joseph says, how can I do this great sin against God? He has given me the checkbook and given me everything but you. And I cross that line? No, ma'am. Nobody would have ever known but God and her. But he said, no, I can't do that. So that's what spirituality is. It's when your spirit is walking close. Try to take sometime a couple of ball bearings and grease them up and balance them. That's spirituality. You're always having to adjust your heart. Well, that's the command in verse 20. You've heard this stuff. You've read this stuff. Now, son, you take it on to the next level. That's why they always say that the mark of the godly, if you're a good parent, it's your grandkids. 
Not did your kids turn out okay, but did your kids carry on what you taught to their grandkids? Verse 22, here's why you need to do that because their life to those who find them, you have stumbled onto in your Bible, the golden fleece. You found Shangri-La, you found the cities of Cibola, you found it. If you find the Bible, you have found life and health. Health is when all your organs work in the organism and there is the absence of pain. When you have the Bible, your physical body may go, but you have a sense of health, of joy. Uh, Steve, you and Rose love each other. I know you did. They are healthy. You love your daughter. She likes you reasonably at any point. Yes. They're good friends. He was a good prof. Uh, Rose, a good teacher, good counselor. Y'all got body parts failing on you right now? Not to be specific, but yeah. That's okay. But y'all are pretty happy. And I could use, I just happened to sit here. I could use a whole bunch of you. I've done a lot of funerals and I, I bury happy, healthy people. Let me explain that. They may be dead, <laughs> but there is a tearful but smiling mate because they remember that memory. Remember that dawn? Yeah. Our dear husband, Jerry, died. Faithful guy. We cried, but what a great memory, you know. And then you got kids that remember, yeah, we were proud of him. You've got brothers and sisters. We were proud of him. You got people from the business that said we worked with him. Man, he was a delight. And uh, they have no regrets, no regrets. And so it's, it's a happy, though the Native Americans called it a good death. It's a good death. And so their life to your body. Let me ask you, can you have a four-point master's and graduate program, make a million dollars a month, do this, do that, and your life still be a disaster? Yeah, if the core is not there of God. And so, and you can, if you know God and walk with him, you can live in a home like all of y'all are having a downsize to right now, okay? You can live in a small home. You can have drive a Yugo, but you're happy because all the non-negotiables are okay. Now, if I give that as a graduation message, are any of the young going to listen to me? None whatsoever. So let's move on there. And verse 23, after this command, and then verse 22, that it's not an idle word like Moses said, it is your life. Meaning I'm not just woofing when I say this. When I say this is the Bible, the book that is life, I mean that. In verse 23, exhortation one, watch over your heart diligently. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Watch your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. If a man is alien to God, he probably is not going to be that good a husband. If he's alien to God, he's probably not going to be that good a, a uh, father or friend or citizen. 
He might just out of common sense amend his way and not walk in consistency with a darkened heart. Maybe he'll luck out, but the chances are everything's going to be touched. Jesus said the righteous man out of the overflow of his heart uh, speaks what fills his mouth. The wicked man out of his wickedness springs forth wickedness for uh, the, the master of your life is your heart. And so you watch it, for from it flow the springs of life. David, Israel's going against the Ammonites that have scorned your messengers. And David stayed at home. Be careful, David. There's a woman bathing on the house next to you. David, don't be looking. Don't be looking. David, don't sin to ask whose child she is. You got seven wives. How more you many you want now? You found out the guy came back and said, it's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, your servant. David, take the rebuke. Don't do it. He asked her to come over and share a meal with him. Don't do it, David. Sit at the other end of the table. Bad, David. All of a sudden, she's leaving the next morning. You got her pregnant. Don't be calling in Uriah to go sleep with his wife so the kid can be born at eight months, redheaded, and nobody will ask questions. You're now running alive for everybody. He won't go into his own wife because Israel's out camping in the field and he won't lower himself to go sleep with his wife. He's more loyal than you are. David, don't write that letter and put it in the hands of Joab and put him on the front lines to get him killed because God sees what you're doing. And David did it and it worked. But the thing was evil in the sight of God. And uh, a guy showed up named Nathan and said, you're the man. And he had to deal with collateral damage till the day he died, even though God was merciful and forgave him. He even called the child that came out of that union with him and Bathsheba, Jedediah, God's beloved. God was good, but it was painful. David said, when he did that, your hand was heavy against me all day long. God beat the, Hebrew says, the pajabbers out of him. Just worked him over for that. And so, watch over your heart. Can we do the same thing? Yeah. I remember at seminary having a professor say, don't you guys think you can't cat, uh, catastrophize your ministry for 20 minutes of sin? He was serious about it. Years later, the professor sunk his ministry for the same thing he warned us on. And so you always walk scared of what you can do. When you're out driving and somebody cuts you off, can you say things men should not say? Yeah, you can do it. So there's really nothing our flesh can't do. And so watch over it with all diligence. In verse 24, when you get a chance to go the easy and criminal way and have a deceitful mouth and devious speech and do like Jezebel and hire people to lie about Naboth so you can kill him and take his land, don't you do it. 
because there's always a temptation from the dark side to follow the broad way that is quick and easy instead of laboring. I've got a buddy in the F, teaches in the FCA named Kerry Casey. He ran a home up in Chicago uh, and he would work with street kids, gang kids. And he told me the biggest problem is when you got them started for the Lord, they would look out the front door and they would see the guy with all the bling and the cars and all the clothes was the pusher or the guy that was a fence or a guy that was a thief or a pimp. He's making the money. And the working guy that disappears with his lunch pail going to work, you don't get to see him. And Carrie would have to say, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, this will also reap. You hadn't seen behind the scenes in this guy's house. And the righteous guy, you hadn't seen behind the scenes in his house. And you hadn't seen what's going to be in 25 years. So don't be deceived on this. So there's always that temptation. Instead, in verse 25, you let your eyes look directly ahead. You stay the path all the way to the end and don't be seduced. Let your gaze be fixed straight. Y'all remember Ulysses at the island of the sirens? Or better still, do you remember George Clooney and Brother Horarthel and Delmer and Pete when they came to the whores of Babylon? Did anybody watch Brother Horarthel? Okay. It's a takeoff on the Odyssey uh, or the Iliad. Whenever you get near the island of the sirens, you remember what Ulysses does? He has his sailors tie him to the mast. And he said, no matter what I say to you, no matter how crazy I am, don't you let me go because there's women out there. I'll just leave that right there. Okay. You tie me up and don't listen to me because I may go crazy. And incidentally, he said, I'd like all you guys to plug your ears with wax because all we need is a whole bunch of crazy people on this deal. And sure enough, uh, you know what happens to you if you follow, don't you? You get turned into a toad. All right. Anybody see? Okay. And so don't turn aside. I don't know how many, back in the early 1900s, America began to go rural to urban and you saw the phenomenon of the big cities and immigration and what was called slums. And you had just uh, capitalistic slavery. You would make guys work for a dollar a week unless you could get a Sicilian to work for 75 cents. You could get an Irishman to work for 50 cents. And so you could just work, go through people with a very non-compassionate use of wealth. And that, that's where you began to see the phenomena of young immigrant boys that saw how difficult it was. And so they began to turn to crime. Uh, you ever heard the name Bugsy Siegel? He was a Jew and he had a buddy named Meyer Lansky who was a Jew. And they just saw that the working man is going to suffer and they broke away and they began making money by extortion, by pretty soon running booze when it was prohibition. They found an Italian pal named Lucky Luciano. 
He was called Lucky because when they cut his throat, they missed his juggler and he didn't die. That's a bad nickname right there, okay. Lucky Luciano. And these two Jewish kids and this Italian kid began to organize people around them and they began the phenomena of what is called organized crime. And they made bukus of money that was unreportable. Bugsy Siegel got shot in the eye and killed uh, at his home in Vegas. Uh, Lucky Luciano got put in prison for tax evasion and then they deported him. And uh, Meyer Lansky tried to leave the country and go to Israel, but they wouldn't take him. And so he died back here. It's a sad picture. And so don't, don't be swayed by watching the, that the, what does Hebrews call it? The, uh, the fruits of sin, which are but for a season. But the wage of sin is death. And so you've got to watch the whole opera play out. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. You reap the same thing you reap a multiplicity of things. One grain will give you 30 grains. And uh, you reap inevitably. It will come back the same in multiplicity. Just give it time. And so in verse 26, watch the path of your feet. So you put your eyes in front and then you evaluate where you're walking. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Don't wander and don't backslide and your ways will be established. You will find yourself in a successful, relatively painless life. This is a great, great promise. And it tells me that to be successful, I don't have to worry about making the right decisions right and left. Should I go to TCU or should I go to Rice? Should I, uh, oh, help me out. Should I move to this house or that? Can you afford the both? Yes. You like this one? Yes. Going to put you too far in debt? Yes. Buy it. Should I marry this girl? Do you love her? Is she a Christian? Does she love you? Is she honorable? How do I know it's God's will? I don't know, marry her, okay? Don't worry about it. There is never an occasion in the Bible of God punishing a man for a, moral, a non-moral left or right decision. David wants to build God a temple. And he says, I'm gonna build a temple. God says to Nathan, no, thank you. I don't need a temple. And he goes to David and says, you are right in all that you wanna do. However, your son's gonna build it. He didn't apologize. Paul tried his best to get to Rome and he couldn't get there. He didn't apologize because God stopped him because God had other plans until later. And so you never apologize for a right or a left decision. Should I do a small group Bible study or should I do a 2-7? Talk to some people that have done it. Think about it. Commit your ways to the Lord and go with what you want to do. And God will take care of you. What gets you in trouble is not right or left decisions. It's right or wrong decisions. It's where you go against what the Bible says. The Bible says very little on right and left. 
look at your heart, look at the results, get good counsel, then do what you want. God gives us that freedom. We're not called to be spooky and always be listening for voices. Don't marry him. Okay. Had a guy tell me one time he was supposed to marry a girl in our church because she had a chihuahua whose ear cocked the same way as his chihuahua. The chihuahua ear marital system. Have you ever heard of it? The guy also happened to be a drug addict. And I said, you, you might ought to consider that. All right, just a little bit. And so you don't put it this way. Matthew Henry, the great Old Testament scholar and New Testament back in the 1700s, he said that godless men in the Bible use God to seek their fortune. Will this succeed or not? He said, great men in the Bible don't seek their fortune. They seek their duty. Is this what God would have me do? Then you do it. If you'll all, I found out that that is the, the greatest verse that has guided me since 1973 is the verse that says, uh, the eyes of God move to and fro throughout the whole earth that he can strongly support the one whose heart is completely his. That mean, doesn't mean that God is looking throughout the earth for that guy. It means God knows that guy. And to take that guy and make him what he is pleasing to make him, the eyes of God move to and fro throughout the earth. That guy doesn't know how it's going to happen, but God does. You remember a guy named Zerubbabel and a guy named Joshua, son of Shealtiel, and that want to go rebuild the temple? And they're not sure how they're going to get loose to do it. There's a guy that Ezra that wants to rebuild the people and a guy later named Nehemiah that wants to rebuild the city. But they're in captivity in Persia. So how do we get out of captivity? Well, it says God will raise up a Syrian, I'm sorry, a Persian king named Cyrus that God calls my anointed, my Messiah, even though he doesn't know God. I'm gonna use him for my purposes. Can God use wicked men to do whatever he wants them to do? The heart of the king is like channels of water. He, in the hand of God, he channels it wherever he wishes. And so God made Cyrus the king turn right around and say to Zerubbabel and Joshua, son of Sheltiel, the high priest, y'all go back and rebuild the temple to your God because I don't want to be cross of any gods out there. And incidentally, I'll pay the freight and anything else you need, I'll give you a blank check. And if anybody living in the land presently during these 70 years opposes you, Here's a note that says, if you oppose you, I'm going to cut his head off, okay? And so you show that. It's free passage. Incidentally, do you need some timber? Here. Here's timber. Go get your timber. And so the eyes of God move to and fro. We got a verse in the New Testament that goes like this. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I can do anything I want to do. That's why you need to be praying for the Ukraine. Can God make the Nile run with blood? Can God take the firstborn of Pharaoh? Can God make Nebuchadnezzar eat grass like a cow? Can he make Sennacherib be killed by his own sons in the palace of his own gods? Yes, he can. Can he take Alexander out at 33? 
distribute his land, strike a Seleucid king, and bring him down through the Maccabees. God can do it. He can empower Israel. He can take a little bitty kid with a rock, and he can take out a nine-foot-six giant. And so you pray for these Ukrainians, and you pray for the wrath of God on Russia. The Bible says, woe to him who increases what is not his to move on another country. And so you pray for the intervention of God and God would use this. I think Americans are probably more apt to pray right now, incidentally. You know, when you get in a tough situation, it's hard to call upon Charles Darwin. You ever tried that? No, you call upon the infinite personal God. And so everybody's kind of a little bit nervous right now. But God can use Pharaoh, Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, Persia, Greece, Rome. He can use them to glorify himself and to correct his church if he wants to. And so pray that when this is all said and done, that people would back away and go, great is the God of the Christians. Great is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You pray that. What's that got to do with the proverb? I'm not sure. Okay, verse 26. And so, don't seek merely your fortune. You seek your duty. One time, Steve, I saw a North Texas graduation. The guy got up and he spoke for about 30 seconds and sat down to an ovation. <laughs> and you know what he said? The guy got up at the graduation and he said, we're real proud of y'all getting your degrees, heading off to go seek your future. Let me just say one thing. If you can't make an independent moral decision, your life is in total jeopardy. Thank you. And they went and sat down. About three people went. And somebody said, what was that? They said, that professor just lost his son to a drug overdose. This was a kid who was just looked like he was super kid. And he made a stupid decision. He lost him. So you better be able to make an independent moral decision. It is not an idle word, said Moses. It is your life. And so Joseph, listen to this. Joseph was a shepherd and his brothers were not being men of integrity before their father was shepherds. Joseph gave a bad report. How did that work? They threw him in a pit. Then they sold him to the Ishmaelites. When he was sold, he was now bought by a guy named Potiphar that worked for Pharaoh. And he was such a good servant that Potiphar turned over his checkbook to him and went to golf. He said, I'm going to go golf. You take care of everything. His wife says, lie with me. He says, how can I sin against God? Your husband's given me a checkbook and I can cross the line with you? No, but we're not monotheistic here in Egypt. I don't care if you're monotheistic. I am. And so, no, I'm not going to do this. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And so she lied about him. He brought us in to make sport of us. 
He just messed with me. Did he really? Put him in prison. That's twice he's done the right thing and suffered. He keeps going lower. It's kind of like Jesus. The better he is, the more people hate him. While he's in jail, he starts working so well in the jail that the jailer gives the keys to him. You ever seen Andy Griffith with Otis Campbell? <laughs> Here, take the jail. He's got the jail. And so Potiphar and the jailer go golfing while Joseph runs the jail. A couple of guys in the jail. He says, what's the matter? He sees them all down, a cupbearer and a baker. What's the problem? We had a dream. We know it's from God. And we can't tell what it is. Joseph said, don't interpretations belong to God? Did Joseph have a dream one time that he was going to be ruler of the earth? How you doing, Joseph? You're Otis Campbell. Does anyone not know who Otis Campbell is? Yeah, just leave this sanctuary and go Google up Andy, Aaron. All right, so he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Yeah, I had one. I'm wondering about, but I'm still faithful to God. Give it to me. You're going to live. You're going to die. It happened. You know what Joseph said? When you go upstairs, could you just remember me? Because I've been stuck down here for about 20 years for something I never did. You bet. He forgot him for two more years. Joseph still stays faithful. One day a guy comes down and says, hey, Pharaoh's had some dreams. They've upset him. We don't know if it's God or pepperoni, but he can't sleep. And the cup and the cupbearer says, Hey, I got to confess my sins. I was down there. I had a dream. He told me this guy knows who God is. Go get him. They went and got him. Shave, change clothes. Here's the dream. Here's what it means. How are we going to keep from this plague? You better take 20% and store it. Since you're the smartest guy here, you be in charge. You're now the vice president of Egypt. Took place in about 20 seconds and he's at the top. Did Joseph mean to get there? No, he meant to obey God where he was. And he continually did that and it all came together. Now that's the way you do. Wherever you are, you excel. David, he's shepherding the flock. Here comes Samuel, hold still. Anoint you, you're the king of Israel. Long live the king. I beg your pardon? Yeah, go back to your flock. You are the king though. Does anybody else know this? Nope, just God. How do you do it? Heck if I know, go back to your flock. God will take care of that. He'll take care of your fortune. And so David's back there. All of a sudden they come to him and said, hey, Saul's been having really problems with uh, anxiety and depression. He needs somebody to come and play. And David said, well, I can do that. And so they bring David, and now he's in the king's court. Louie, Louie. Oh, baby. All right, he's doing his best. Are you with me, Don? <laughs> and they said, man, you're a one heck of a player. Uh, how about you be my armor bearer? He was. Man, I want you here permanently. He was. We got to go to war with the Philistines. I got to go take care of my father's sheep. My brothers need some cheese and some bread. Take this to him. He's meals on wheels. He goes up and he sees a nine foot six giant. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Mock the people of the living God. Give me my rock. And he knocks him down. All of a sudden, he gets made the uh, general of the troops of Israel. And he's right under Saul. 
Did he try to get there? He was faithful where he was and God elevated him. So just do that and watch your foot. In verse 27, don't go to the right, don't go to the left, turn your foot. Beware of the first inclination in you. Joseph, I can lie with me. That's wrong. I'm not going to do it. David, here's Solomon or Saul trying to kill you. He goes into a cave. He's in the cave to relieve himself. His buddies say, hey, this is the time. Saul's in there reading the paper. Go kill him. David said, no, the Bible says you will not lift your hand against the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to do this. This is the time God's going to elevate you to be king. Nope. Nope. I'm not going against what he tells me to do. And in time, God did his elevating. And so you watch your foot whenever you start to turn. A man who walks out of fellowship with God walks on the edge of an abyss. Your fortune will follow your duty. The right and wrong will outlast the right and left. You will not pay permanently for a right and left. It is the right and wrongs that'll get you in trouble, keeping your heart steady. Your father, Revo Stewart, all these Stewart kids down here. When I was in Louisville as a student teacher, I'd just gotten converted about a year before and I met the father of these girls down here. His name was Revo Stewart. He was a builder in Louisville, and he was a fine builder. You would come to him with a specific house you wanted, and he would build that thing. He said, this will outlast your grandkids. And he, would, he was a great home builder. And he, I got close to Revo. He was a ball player at was it West Texas State. Did he play? Where did he play at? Huh? Texas Tech. Texas Tech. My bad. North Texas. And North Texas. Did he really? I got close to Revo and uh, just a solid, godly man. And when he retired, I went out to that lake house y'all have out at Winsboro. And I was out in that lake house and I looked up at the lake house at the ceiling and there were some beams going across the ceiling that were great. They looked, and I just asked Revo, I said, did you take these off of a ship from the 18th century? They were big, massive oak beams, and you could see the oil and the whatever had seeped into them. You could see, you know, Debbie loves whoever, you know, scratched into it and all this. And so I said, what are these beams? They didn't fit, in a sense, the rest of the house. They were rustic but these were just massive things. So what are these? He said, well, all the years that I was a home builder, I made sure when I got up 40 feet off the ground, I wasn't going to fall. You have what's called scaffolding. And so he said, my beams, I made them a certain way. I bought them, I beat them, built them, I shaped them, and they would butt up against each other, smooth, and nothing could knock them over. So he said, when I'm way up off the ground with my sons and my sons-in-law and I'm working, he said, we're not gonna have any chance of a problem happening. And so these are the most solid things that we have. He said, I retired and I had to wonder what I was gonna do with all my stuff. I sold off so much of my business. 
And I said, I got down to these beams that I stood on for my whole career. And somehow I just couldn't get rid of them. And so what I did was I just built them in my house. And so now the ones that held me up now covered me in the rest of my life. That's the cross right there. These beams saved us. And now it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives. And so I will now model on Jesus. I will now trust his grace as I seek to obey him. I will now live for his purpose. I will now wait for his coming. I will now follow his word. And so that cross becomes the thing above us that shelters us in this world. That's the text here. Listen, read, adjust. The word is life. Watch yourself all the way. Father in heaven, the problem with this text is that it's too clear. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us grace. Watch over us all of our days. And we'll ask this in Jesus' name, amen.